Hi, this is The Greatest Story Ever Played. I'm Dan, and I'm joined uh, by Jake from the pre-order bonus. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. It's really good to be back. I was super excited when I saw your message, um, and I'm super excited to talk about the game that we're discussing tonight. So when you sent me that message, and then you're like, hey, I'm, I'm you know, been thinking about playing Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. This is one that actually been sitting in my wish list for several months. Oh, that's perfect. So I was like, great. Finally, okay, I can like I'm gonna buy this and I'm gonna play it. <laughs> that that's awesome. That that that's good to hear. I'm 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 really glad about that. I'd had this on my horizon for a while too. I was like, this seems like a thing I would like. And then once I like looked further into it, I was like, I gotta talk to someone about this. And then I thought that you would be absolutely perfect for this. Um listeners Thanks. of our show may or may or may not know this but you are uh you have a phd in literature and so i feel like that is a <laughs> uh very fitting for this game i feel like this is a game probably made for people who are probably like you or i i don't have a phd or anything but i like reading um so <laughs> i feel like this is probably the vibe for a certain demographic that we are probably both part of yes absolutely yeah reading through this I definitely was actually thinking of some ways because I've been pretty sneaky in my classes these last few semesters of um, kind of tucking in video games into some of the <laughs> into some of the course. And as I was going through this, I was like, ooh, this could be a really fun one to teach because of the way that just it's about stories and it's about, uh, you know, a, a pretty well-known American literary tradition and the way that the stories involve, I just thought it was a really cool way of sort of combining video games and like video game-ness of, of, you know, playing and interaction with stories and seeing how stories can change. So I thought it was a super cool game. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. I guess actually I, I sh we should have done this first. But um, <laughs> so Jake has also actually been on here before uh, him and uh, his co-host. Uh, partner Cameron Ghost uh, came and mm -hmm. we talked about Super Mario Odyssey uh, at the end of last year, which was fun. But also, if you don't know about their podcast, Jake, do you want to tell people about your guys' show? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I am one half, as Dan has discussed, uh, of the pre-order bonus podcast. Um, it, we have found it as incredibly difficult to search for our podcast name. So <laughs> if we could change one thing, it would probably be that. Um, but yeah, our podcast is, it, it's a little different uh, than the greatest story ever played in that. Rather than just focusing on narrative or the bulk of things being focused on narrative, we talk about video games in four categories every episode. We discuss the narrative, then the mechanics, the gameplay loop, and then we speculate what we think the impact of that game is on the industry. And so uh, if you like those types of categories, if you like that type of discussion of, of video games, that's what we do. And I think that's kind of how... Uh, I mean, we started following uh, The Greatest Story Ever Played, and that's kind of how we got connected because uh, we do talk about video games in that way rather than just talking about whether or not we'd enjoyed them or giving them a letter grade. Uh, we like to discuss like those finer details. And so it's been really fun listening to The Greatest Story Ever Played. I had a blast last time we talked Super Mario Odyssey. And so, like I said, when I saw the message here, I was like, all right, let's do it. I was, I was rearing to go. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think something that I really enjoy about your show is because you break it down in those categories. There's a lot of games that we've gotten to cover over the last several years that you guys have also hit up. And it's cool getting this other perspective or other details on games. So that's something I know I personally love a lot is cool. I've played this game. Do you guys have an episode on it? Because I want to see what someone else thought about this. And, you know, some of the highlights that you guys are going to hit that I probably didn't. Uh, so, yeah. Totally cool, uh, cool stuff. But yeah, if you haven't listened to their podcast, definitely go check it out. Also, I'll link all the stuff in um, the show notes and stuff. So, you know, definitely go check that out. I think they're a podcast that should be part of your rotation. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, let's, let's get to it. I don't know. I'm ready. I, I've been thinking about this game nonstop for the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, let's do it. I can uh, start us off with a description that we got for the game. Mm -hmm. So uh, it says, uh, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine is a narrative adventure about traveling, sharing stories, and surviving manifest destiny. Featuring a gorgeous hand-drawn illustrations, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine combines 2D visuals with a 3D overworld map of the United States. Uh, Mm -hmm. Players wander across a folkloric Depression-era United States at their own pace, meeting with strangers with their own stories to tell. Through these interactions, players will be able to collect unique stories, which then can be retold to unlock new interactions. In this way, the in-game stories themselves act as the currency to progress uh, through the game, and it's up to the player to pair the right story with the unique needs of each character they'll encounter throughout their travels. Only through the right pairings uh, will characters reveal their true selves and bestow on you the most powerful stories the true ones which reveal something about their own lives mm-hmm. uh and then i guess kind of adding some background on the game itself uh this was developed by Dimbalb games and Dimbalb games was founded by uh johanneman nordhagen who was one of the founders of fulbright uh studios who made gone home so if mm. you're familiar with gone home uh he is uh from that he was one of the three like main people on that game very cool mm-hmm. yeah for sure so cool kind of seeing where he came from uh all of that so i think kind of last thing we should do before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of this game is talk about some non-spoiler thoughts you may have heard about where the water tastes like wine and you know have seen it as a game that's around but you're maybe not sure is this a game i want to play you know whatever that kind of stuff so we'll take a couple minutes just to talk about you know what do we think about it without kind of spoiling main stuff um i guess Mm -hmm. one thing i can say off top for me is i feel like what drew me to this game initially and then proved true is when i'd heard about this game i was like this sounds like a John Steinbeck novel or like, I don't know, yeah. reading on the road by Jack Kerouac, except it's a walking mm-hmm. sim. Um, and so I was like, <laughs> cool. I like all of those things. Like, you know, when you read on the road and it's just like, Oh, we're driving around and then we eat Franks and beans. And then we met some guy and then we did this thing. And you're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into this. Yeah. That's a vibe. And I'm, I'm, I'm down to be a part of it. And uh, I feel like that is what this game is for sure. I feel like mm-hmm. if John Steinbeck played video games and was alive, he'd play this game. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had similar thoughts. Um, I thought it was really cool because this game represents like Dust Bowl Depression Era USA, 
which I think is relatively underrepresented in a lot of media, just generally. So the time period that it's honed in on, I think is really cool. Um, it's not exactly like a, a real celebra celebratory time in American history, which is why I kind of think a lot of the literature produced about this time period and from this time period, uh, it tends to be a little more tragic in nature. It tends to be a little more critical in a lot of ways. And I honestly, I mean, like you, like I thought that where the water tastes like wine really fits in with just like literature of the time period. John Steinbeck, obviously, I think is a really good one to mention. This this also made me think of um, a, a collection of poetry that I read a long time ago, and it's called the Spoon River Anthology. It's by Edgar Lee Masters. Now, this isn't necessarily like a huge masterpiece of literature, but it does do something really phenomenal. And what it does is each poem is essentially, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one epitaph of, uh, of like the town cemetery. And the, the, the epitaph like kind of reveals like the true feelings or the true natures or the true circumstances surrounding somebody's death from this town. And so you get to know like this community exceptionally well because like once all these people have died, it's kind of like their ghosts are sitting around and gossiping about what life was really like and what they really thought of each other. Oh, cool. And so it's, it's a really cool collection. Um, and it reminded me a lot of this game where I was thinking of it a lot while playing this game just because some similar things happen. As you were, like as you mentioned, there's several key characters that you get to know and they start revealing more about their true selves. I would say this game's a little more optimistic, which is kind of hard to believe because there's not too much optimism <laughs> in this game. <laughs> um, or I guess I guess a better way of phrasing it is that the Spoon River Anthology is like pretty like gossipy in, in the way that people interact with each other. And that's really not the case. In, in where the water tastes like wine. So anyway, I really liked it. Um, we were just talking before we were recording. I think this game utilizes the open world format exceptionally well. Now, I think most people who are thinking about open world games are thinking about like open world in combat and lots of like really exciting adventure. And this game is not that. I mean, it's a great game, but it's slow. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's 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 very slowly paced. And so you just have to go into it with different expectations. But I think if we were to, like, write out a definition of what an open world game is and we were to look at where the water tastes like wine, like, it checks all the boxes for sure. Like, yeah. I think it does a great job there. Yeah. And, and now that you say that, too, what an unusual thing that you're both an open world game and slow paced. I. I wonder mm -hmm. if that combination has even been done very often because like <laughs> those don't seem like things that would naturally go together. Yeah, they they really don't. And it, it's kind of funny because I've actually I actually started playing Death Stranding the same time I was playing this game. Ooh. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's funny because uh, I was just I was texting a friend. I was like, I'm playing two games right now and they're both like the most walking sim walking sims that you could have <laughs> but but i was like i love them both like i'm actually really enjoying both of them yeah that's that's good to hear i've i i haven't played death stranding but that was what i would imagine in my head so hearing that you like it and having like this game 
I'm wondering, I've been a little intimidated by it, but maybe I should give it a go. Because I like walking sims, but typically they're like three hours and not, you know, however long Death Stranding is. <laughs> I mean... Oh, I know it's a I'm monster. Even, it is a monster. I mean, I really like it. Um, I would... I'm not... I'm, I'm, uh, excuse me. I'm also playing on easy, which I actually really am grateful for because it makes it more of a walking sim and less of like a stealth game and really combat isn't hugely important because I'm playing it on easy mm-hmm. because I, I actually just love walking in that game, which is, I don't know. I mean, if a game is going to be a walking sim, you have to enjoy walking, I guess. Right. That's true. If, if the walking mechanic is bad, uh, you're in trouble <laughs> for, <Yeah. laughs> for something like that. Totally. No, that's true. Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, another thing I liked with this game uh was the soundtrack for it um i i'm i guess this is a mild spoiler but it's very very mild is you go to different regions in the united states and the music changes which is really really Mm -hmm. cool and um this wasn't like the moment where i bought in but there's a moment where you reach the southwest and then you have uh spanish music play Mm -hmm. and that was like a a light bulb type moment for me i was like that's so cool like it 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 just I think when I had that happen, it was when I walked um, by the Rockies. And so you see these giant mountains. Mm. And, you know, before that, on the East Coast, everything's pretty flat. If there's a hill, it's pretty small. And the Rockies mm-hmm. are distinguishedly, they're clearly different. You know, they're huge. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't walk around them. You couldn't look over them. And to walk mm-hmm. into that and then, you know, uh, Spanish music breaks in really, really cool. Um, yeah. But th- the music was done so, so well in this game. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I really, really enjoyed listening to the music throughout this game. Um, I had a similar moment, and for me, it was, uh, I guess I had that same moment that you're describing when you sort of um, are heading towards the southwest, and then suddenly, bam, the music's in Spanish. Like, it's changed, and you're like, oh, man, this is this is really cool, like the way that they're reflecting this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a similar moment when I crossed into the south for the first time. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, the, the music has changed and it's, it's, it's cool because really it's, it's almost as if it's the same song, but it's like a variation of the same song. Um, because as I was listening to the music in Spanish, right, because I teach, you know, literature from Latin America, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm really curious. And thematically, in in lyrically things are really similar and so that's when i started really paying attention to the music into all the different lyrics um and yeah for the most part like you kind of get the same themes even though they're it's like the same lyrical theme but it's set to a different or slightly different musical background according to the region and i thought that's just some really cool attention to detail as you're moving through the you know the map right because there's um there's one song, the the Vagrant song, that I think gets mm. kind of repurposed throughout the game where you'll have a, a different musical style. And maybe the lyrics change some too, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. But it gets repurposed in each area. And it's like, you're still getting the same vibe of like, you know, the song's about being a drifter and you're like telling stories and stuff like that. And right. you, you know, you hear that in Maine, you hear that in the Southwest, you hear that in California. Like, it's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, although my favorite song... It's one I actually catch myself humming like <laughs> while I'm not <laughs> playing. Um, do you know the, the? Do you remember the song White Rider? 
I feel like it played a lot in like the Southwest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that song's great. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. Cause, um, that one, oh man. Because <laughs> when you meet the cowboy, right, it plays a bit when you're around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. It, yeah. It's great. Yeah. The, all uh, It's fantastic. And that um, Ryan Ike is the guy who did the soundtrack and he did all of it. Like uh, he had different like singers come, but like to be able to just make a soundtrack and do all these different genres of music based on the region and be able to pull that off like bravo that's that's some yeah. talent yeah hats off to him wonderful job mm-hmm. uh yeah good stuff for sure i think that's the main stuff i have that's not spoilers did you have any other non-spoiler type stuff you wanted to talk about uh, it's it's kind of hard to say any more than what we've said i think without getting into too many spoilers i mean yeah cool yeah i i I agree um so yeah if this sounds like a game uh you might like i think if you're someone who likes literary stuff if you're someone who likes walking sims this has a chance of uh being the kind of game you would like um if those don't sound like your thing it might not be um your kind of game um (laughs) So, cool. With that, we will uh, move into spoiler territory. So, our game begins with uh, our main character playing uh, a poker game. And so, he shows up at, you know, some saloon or whatever and sits down to play poker. And it basically ends up becoming a game between him and one other person. And it's sort of, they take everyone out there, you know, building the chips up, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get to sort of like a final showdown where, you know, you're calling each other all in. You've got a good hand. They might have a good hand. Like, um, and the other person has more than you. So they say, okay, mm-hmm. well, what else can you offer besides your money? And you offer your blood, right? It's kind of like my word. I will do yeah. whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um I mean, it was it was really cool. It's a it's a very like cinematic moment. I feel like um, we've seen scenes like this before, you know, high stakes poker matches, and then when you get to the end of it, um, yeah, like I feel like it does a good job of like like it does in, in movies where like you're just compelled. You're like, man, this hand is incredible. Like all in is the only option here. Like. <laughs> And so I really like this moment a lot. And and this is where you get introduced to the main like 2D portrait art style, uh, which is, I think is really fantastic. And so I feel like this this is functioned as a really cool just like introduction because I think the art sort of reflected like the CD, not exactly trustful circumstances you find yourself in, but you have been coming up ahead and you have been winning and you have a really good hand. And it's just time to go for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you go for it and, you know, bet your blood, <laughs> essentially. Like, yep. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, my word is bond, my blood is bond sort of thing. If I lose mm-hmm. this hand, I'll do whatever you want sort of thing. And they have a better hand. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you get this sort of like transformation. The person you were playing was like a, seemingly a person, but they transform into this dire wolf who is basically mm-hmm. like i have your blood to be able to like fulfill your contract i have a task for you 
um, and they want you to go collect stories. Uh, and so this sort of sets you off where the game will kind of get you going. Yeah, it, it. I mean, I knew kind of what the premise of the game was going into it. And this moment for me was really curious because as they have this request for you, you know, the dire wolf, it makes it pretty serious or pretty um, obvious distinction between like the types of stories that the dire wolf wants and the ones that you're going to encounter throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And the dire wolf says, okay, you are going to meet some people who have true stories and I want those ones and I want you to find them and you're going to have to work to find the truth in these stories. And you're going to also find a bunch of stories out there that are just embellished that they don't really ring true. They're more for entertainment and like less of somebody's bearing their soul. And I thought that was really interesting because I mean, the stakes of the bet obviously are really high. Like you, you bet your, your blood, like essentially your life um, in this poker match. And so you would think maybe in other circumstances that like immediately the dire wolf is going to ask for your like servitude, like, or like in in an extreme case or like, Hey, um, your soul is mine now, whatever it is. And so to be asked to like find true stories, I think was a little bit of a curveball, like compared to other expectations that you might have going into like a supernatural poker, you know, poker game setting. Um, And so it, you know, it's kind of a relief, but at the same time, there's like suspicion. It's like, okay, but what does a dire wolf really want here? And I like that. I like that a lot because as you progress through the game, like you have this clear goal in mind to like find true stories and have people reveal their, them, their true selves to you. And then you think, well, what does that really mean? And what does that mean? Like, what is dire wolf really getting out of this? And I think mm-hmm. that was a really cool question. We're going to get to the very ending, which I just, I, <laughs> I'm i really excited to talk about. Um, but I think it all makes sense in the end. But definitely for me, as I started, I was like, okay, this is kind of a strange request. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, too, this, this opened up for me. I didn't expect Supernatural stuff to be going on even. And so mm. this totally changed my expectations going in, I really thought it would be like grounded in reality, telling stories, drifting around kind of thing. And it was, but you know, some of the stories you meet are pretty normal, but then other ones end up being pretty fantastical. And Mm -hmm. uh, the dire wolf in this whole situation and setting you on your mission set the stage that that could happen. And so when they did, I was like, cool, that's not weird because this already happened. You know, like Mm -hmm. when, when you had stuff happen, I think if I didn't, if I wasn't already programmed or whatever for like, okay, cool. Weird stuff can happen. Um, Mm -hmm. I would be like, man, that's a weird story. Why did that happen? (laughs) Um, but instead (laughs) this set it up. I was like, oh yeah, of course that would happen. Like there is weird supernatural stuff that can go on. Yeah. It it definitely makes everything feel a bit more normal, which is good, especially considering some of the stories you come across and, uh, just how they evolve. Um, Mm -hmm. like we've discussed, like, uh, embellishment of stories is like a really key, not only game mechanic, but just like narrative component to this game. And I just think how that evolution happens is really fun. There are some moments where, um, you'll be traveling after you've told a story to somebody and you'll see a specific icon that indicates, oh, there's a story here that you can listen to and it's been embellished. 
And there's always like the option, I feel like, when you hear the person telling a story to either say like, oh, yeah, that's actually not how it happened or to say, oh, man, now that is a great story. And I just thought that was kind of a fun way for you as a player and as a protagonist to kind of play along with the embellishment that's going on with all these stories. It, just like a way to really like, I don't know, it was a fun sort of wink, I feel like, at the player every time that happened. Yeah, totally. I, I like, too, that the stories that were getting told they were symbolized by like an eye and the more open it was, it was like mm -hmm. how popular the story was. And so a story might start off with like mm -hmm. a, a mostly closed eyelid. And then, you know, you walk to another town and it's getting told and then the eyelids getting bigger. And then, you know, once it gets to a point where it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, super popular, it's like full open eyelid. Uh, and you're like, all right, I've got a good story. It's, it's in circulation. Like it, it felt like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember going through and like there are so many different stories that you can collect. I think the number is like 237 total stories. And um, I remember like going through my inventory and then just like checking and seeing, OK, what stories have been embellished? And then that eye indicator just being like a cool way of being like, OK, like how good is this story? Part of it, like I kind of understood it as like how eye opening is this story? Like if somebody's listening to me, are they going to be like glued to like what they're hearing? But like eyes wide open because they're so enthralled um, and the more closed eyes to me looked a little more sleepy in terms of like, OK, someone's maybe half listening right now. Um, but I thought that I was a cool sort of indicator, uh, like you did, right. Of, okay, this is a good story. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like that too. And that it just, um, and it felt super normal that you'd have those. It just like the whole vibe felt like people are just all around swapping stories, that kind of thing. Like, you know, you go to a town and it's like, uh, construction guys on their lunch break are telling stories and then you hear an embellished version of a story that you told to someone else earlier and you're like "Ooh, I know you uh, you know all of that like it, it was cool it, it I think that they for for that being like the prime mechanic of how things went I think they really nailed that yeah I, I agree and the, the other aspect here is like if your game's about telling stories, the story's got to be good, right? Otherwise, how interested is the player going to remain as they're going through? And I thought some of these stories, I mean, I think they just did it really well. I mean, I remember like one story in particular, like I was in Boston and I uh, had a taxi driver, you know, drive me somewhere. And the story was just like this really oddly silent taxi driver who was kind of ignoring me. And that turned into a story that I could tell. And that base story wasn't super exciting, but as it grew, it became much more fantastical and, you know, and much more interesting to listen to. I think another example was a story that I grabbed early on about uh, two women who were like fed up with their lives and um, <clears throat> they just wanted to leave. So I like told the story and it evolved from this story about two women who are angry to these two women who became like notorious bootleggers. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you did this story too. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they had cool names and it was about how like famous and rowdy they were as lawbreakers. 
and the story just got cooler with it and that was that was one of my go-to stories actually uh for a lot of different characters <laughs> oh me too that became like a a key story for me as it just becomes mm-hmm. this you know these cool outlaws and they're like you met those outlaws like <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that that was awesome that was super cool um so i guess yeah, we get sent in our mission to collect stories. Oh, I guess also, weird side point. The direwolf's voice is by Sting, the musician, which is <laughs> wild. What so a, wild. What, what a random uh, like celebrity appearance in a video game. Yeah, and I mean, he did a great job, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, he totally did great. I feel like if um, people need someone to fill that role, you should call Sting for sure. And be yeah. like, hey, do you want to be in our game? Because uh, that was awesome in Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Um, mm-hmm. But you get your mission, and so you get plopped down in Maine to start. And you have the whole United States to cover. So a lot of ground. Um, and each sort of like town or city has some stories or landmarks kind of along the way as you walk across the U.S. Um, And depending on the city, there's more or less. So, like, we mentioned Boston. Boston being bigger, there was more to do there. Um, But, you know, as you make your way through some of the Northeast, there's not a lot around, but you might walk and, like, see an icon for, oh, there's a story over here. It's a lighthouse. I'll go check that out. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, And kind of all in all, the stories fall into some, like, primary categories which mm-hmm. I, I think these are the four. There's scary stories that people like hearing, hopeful mm-hmm. stories, sad ones, and adventure ones. Mm-hmm. Is that is uh, that the four, or is there a fifth? Uh, sometimes people ask for funny, but... Uh, uh, ooh, yes. That's right, funny yeah. is the other one. Um, yeah, and that one was the hardest one for me to pin down. But... <laughs> No, that's true. I had multiple times where I had a story where I'm like, oh, this is uh, one." the one that had me the hardest time with was adventure because I was like, yeah. what do you think is adventuring? Because at one point I got a story that was about um, the gangsters in Chicago just like executing people, shooting cops, like all this stuff. Yeah. And to me, I was like, that sounds like a like a gangster movie. That's adventurous. And then I'd give right. it to people, and they're like, "Oh, that's so sad." I'm like, "All right, <laughs> um, you you and I have different ideas of stories, I guess." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that was probably one of the toughest things I think about this game because you're right. There really only are just like a handful of like key stories, and like when you are in the setting, it's a campfire setting. You find somebody at a camp for the night. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you hold, uh, see, I was playing on controller. If you hold up on the analog stick, it'll mm-hmm. say, okay, they're looking for a thrilling story. They're looking for a tragic story. They're looking for a funny story, whatever it is. And I would say, okay, so this is what they're looking for. And yeah, whenever they ask for things about adventures, this was also another really tricky one. I had to think to myself, like, okay, like, yeah, what are they going to think is super adventurous or thrilling was another word for it. And I almost feel mm-hmm. like, sometimes uh people wanted like something that was like like very much an adventure like hey we're setting out on adventure like to find treasure or whatever it is and sometimes people just wanted to hear like really exciting like crazy stories and so one that i used a lot was about picos bill like riding up uh you know lassoing and riding a tornado and 
for the most part, that worked when people said they wanted this type of story. So, but sometimes it didn't. And so I almost kind of feel like that there may have been like subcategories that you had to, there was some wiggle room in there about what was going to work. So Mm -hmm. you really, you really couldn't like guess at all or like assume very well. You really had to pay attention to what the characters were saying, I felt like. And if they mentioned specifically like ghosts, then I was like, okay, it's got to be a scary story, but it's got to have a ghost in it. And then that would work for me. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Because I guess, too, what you get. So as you meet people, you have interactions, you collect stories. And how they display on your, like, story wheel is there's 12 types of stories. So I guess not categories, but types. So, like, family Mm -hmm. or sadness or joy or whatever. But what's weird is so you could have, like, a joy adventure story or you could have, like, a joy funny story or, you know, whatever. Right, Um, And so part of the game's, like, restriction is in each of, like, the 12 categories, once you use, like, a a family story, you're not allowed to just keep doing family stories. You've got to do these other categories. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And so kind of juggling that and figuring out where your stories fit in the funny, thrilling adventure or whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. that was sort of a tough balance because I was like, all right, how do I, like, weigh my... How do I make sure I have even enough stories across the board um, like, yeah. and, and not just all scary ones or whatever? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I had so I felt like I had so many scary stories. Mm-hmm. And there are a few times in the game where I was like, OK, there's a pretty big imbalance here. I need to I need to swap this out for something else uh, because I just think it's it's gotten too crazy at this point. So scary stories. Yeah, I definitely felt like I had a lot of it's interesting, though, because I feel like. Like you said, you start in Maine, and when you're in the Northeast, I felt like I was able to get enough stories quickly enough that sort of met most people's needs for the early game, which mm-hmm. I thought was really smart balancing on on the side of like the developers. But there were several moments, yeah, within the game, I just did like almost a total overhaul of like what stories I was going to use, because I was like, no, I've got way too many scary stories, and as things started getting eliminated or they kept wanting, for example, uh, like a funny story. I was like, man, the three funny stories I always use are gone. And I'm just left here with scary stories. Yep. So <laughs> I've got to, I've got to end the session early. Uh, they're going to move locations. I've got to rearrange, maybe look for some embellished stories and then find them again. Um, thankfully, I felt like characters kind of asked for similar types of stories every time. So they mm-hmm. weren't like, all over the place and so that helped with planning a lot more and i really appreciated that yeah no that's true and um uh yeah i think i think just being able to find those because i i found one thing i did too was um like when you're having dialogue options where stories could happen they might show you two icons and i was like oh you know, I have too many family stories. I'm going to go this other route to get mm-hmm. more stories for this other subcategory um, mm-hmm. to hopefully balance myself out a little more, too. Because um, a, yeah. a lot of the stories would let you sort of choose a trajectory of, is this going to turn into a story focused on this or a story focused on that based on how you respond to the, like the initial interaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was also really helpful. Yeah, I just feel like 
even though like you might i i personally like found ran into some walls with some characters there was enough wiggle room with things like that where it's like oh as i'm like experiencing this event uh based on one of my actions i can kind of shape what type of story it will be and then i can add that story to my inventory and so i really appreciated things like that for sure um this is a little random but speaking of which um did you know that there is fast travel in the game i discovered it like halfway through i i literally discovered it like one minute before i ended the game oh no (laughs) (laughs) so i was hitching a ton of rides everywhere um and just doing all sorts of odd jobs so i could buy train tickets and then i was kicking myself but i was also laughing kind of hard because i was like oh there's actually <laughs> a lot easier way to get around the, the map here <laughs> and that that helped me out a lot at the end game of um mm-hmm. towards the end i got like i got too focused on collecting the stories so i think at the end of the game i had maybe like 215 stories or something like i had a lot whoa Nice. Yeah. Uh, and part of it was I just like fast, tra- I like pulled up the map where stories were. I'd fast travel to places near enough and then just search um, <laughs> and just try to get everything I could kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But without that, though, I, I don't know that I would have tried to do that. Um, but I got kind of focused on it <laughs> for some reason. Um, mm. But um yeah one other thing too we've talked about it quite a few times but the story's growing as you share them um and also just sort of the proliferation i guess of stories of like oh this is a story that's everywhere around the u.s and this reminded me of um when i was in like middle school in like i don't know early 90 or late 90s early 2000s of Mm -hmm. stories that were popular of my day i don't know if this is the same time frame for you when you were in middle school early high school but i remember Mm -hmm. like oh uh you know if you drink mountain dew and it's yellow five it'll like reduce your sperm count so you shouldn't drink mountain dew (laughs) um or or like the you know tall tale of the guy who like did too much acid and now he thinks he's orange juice and he can't like lean over because he's afraid he'll like tip the orange juice out (laughs) kind of thing did you have stories like that when you like grew up were there like things that were that way um yeah like i remember same time period like you know same years in like middle school as well like these types of like urban legends right Mm -hmm. like oh like like this thing happens because of this um i saw and i cannot think of any good examples of what i remember like specifically from that era Uh, the only thing i can remember is just like my parents always being like Hey, don't stand so close to the microwave. It'll like ruin your eyes or something, you know, oh, Which, yeah. maybe that one. <laughs> I don't know. I still to this day, like keep my distance, like just, <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. Like, uh, these like random, like urban legends. Like if you do this, like then this will happen. And I feel like most of the ones I heard were just like, y- you remember when the movie, the ring came out? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like most of the ones were like people who were like trying to actually do what we do in the game, right? And just like be like, oh, yeah, well, something similar like that happened to my cousin where they got this like crazy, you know, CD or like cassette and like this thing (laughs) happened. And, you know, I think at the time I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. But um, it's kind of funny, though, like because, you know, where the water tastes like wine focuses on this era of like tall tales and it focuses Mm -hmm. on this era of 
just like these totally embellished stories where they aren't i mean you you know they aren't real i mean they have a hint of truth to them but they're really just as uh, one of the characters says a lot in the game it's somebody spinning a good yarn yeah and, yeah <laughs> um it's just i think it's just funny how like that kind of tradition really persists right where yep. we want to tell a good story we want to entertain people we we want there to be like a hint of truth or like uh some sort of like uh, connection to reality or to someone's own life experience because it makes the the person more interesting interesting who's telling the story right and so um i love this connection that you made right I, and i'm sorry i couldn't think of any good examples of urban legends but like this something similar was happening and so i thought it was just like a really cool uh way to like make a video game about like that thing that we do in our culture which is like tell good stories and really captivate an audience yeah, totally. I think what's cool, too, with those stories that I was struck by, like the, those rumors I had from the 90s, I typed something like that into Google when I was playing this game because it was on my mind. Mm -hmm. And then there was a Reddit mm -hmm. thread of a whole bunch of people <laughs> all around who had these same stories growing up. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's like the Internet was around, but not like it's not like it is today. You know, <laughs> like right. um, in the early 2000s, I was using an AOL disk to get online. It wasn't like I was like. <laughs> online like i am now <laughs> or like in the game these stories spreading like they don't have an internet connection it's not like oh i saw this forum about you know uh mm -hmm. the the uh you know whatever one of the stories from here and just that they can yeah. spread everywhere and i think that's so cool is that like even as the tall tale transforms or you know it gets told blah 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 but just that mm -hmm. um it, it it doesn't even need something like an internet connection to do that. It just can, right. uh, which is like, what a power of story that like people who shouldn't know each other know the same story. Yeah. You know what? I thought of one and it's related to video games. As you were talking about this, um, all of the rumors about how to catch Mew in Pokemon. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Uh, That's a good yeah, one. Like Mew. Mew was hiding under the truck, like outside of Vermilion City in the SSN. And I remember just like spending like time. And it's funny because uh, you bring up like Reddit and all these stories. But like back when, you know, we were in middle school, that was like the early age of the Internet where like people were posting like the craziest things about, <laughs> you know, just like on like walkthroughs or, you know, the early days of like IGN, I feel like just like people posting the craziest thing about video games and then just like spending a ton of time, like trying to find those secrets and just totally being duped. <laughs> right. No, that's true. You really like would work for hours for a thing that wasn't even real. It was just a, <laughs> a, a rumor or something that put, someone put on. That, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's it's funny. It's just it's cool that this game was an embodiment of that. You know, I yeah. think that's that's pretty cool. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like we've set the stage. OK, I feel like this is what the game is. Hopefully you have an idea of what it looks like. So the big part uh, outside of this is who you meet. So mm -hmm. in general, you go and you meet stories. That's kind of a big thing that happens. But the other big thing that happens, which I would say is the direwolf's like real request is there are certain characters he wants you to meet and you'll actually meet them multiple times. Um, and so all in all, there are 16 characters you meet through the game scattered through the country and mm -hmm. you end up having three or four meetings with them. So it might be like, oh, I had I met you um, outside of Oklahoma. You know, we sat around 
uh, for the night, camp together, swap stories. And then mm-hmm. you ended up in New Mexico and I found you there later and we swapped stories again. That's sort mm-hmm. of your sort of setup. And all of these characters, uh, most of them you meet three times. Some of them you get to meet four times. Yeah, uh, this was, I thought this was really cool. Um, when you would meet these characters and you have the, the dire wolf's request in mind, you're thinking, okay, um, how do we get to know this person? And all these people are reserved in one way or another. And I think like the, the big difference, like where the water tastes like wine, like versus like the urban legends and things we've kind of discussed now is that these stories are very personal and very intimate to each of these characters. And so when you do get to the final stage of meeting them, I mean, they reveal something that's like really, really profound about themselves or about their worldview, about why they are the way they are. And a lot of times it'll reveal like why they're just kind of drifting through America as they're trying to find either find a place in America to be. They're running away from a place that has rejected them or they're mm-hmm. on the road because the road is the closest thing that's felt like home. And I just thought that that was a cool sort of thread that you get to the very end of them or the and the end of um, each chapter, they're, right, yep. with, with each character. And part of that, too, is when you would when you initially meet them, there's this really beautiful hand-drawn scenario. It's a campfire setting. It's nighttime, and you have this highly detailed person, and their sh- the the excuse me the fire will be like casting a shadow behind them, and the shadows uh-huh. flickering, and you have this great dialogue with them, and it's this wonderful character portrait. But when you unlock the final chapter, I was not prepared for this. Yeah. Um, and and then you meet them for the final chapter, it completely changes, and it's not just the person's portrait, but it's like almost like a surrealist painting like description like painting uh, or drawing of what this person's like true self is like what they really are dealing with and what their what their heart really looks like in a very cool artistic representation mm-hmm. and that to me was super fun just like being able to see how the character portrait would change and then just like taking in those detail and i found myself constantly asking like oh like what are like what are all the details here like how does this reflect what they've expressed as what they're feeling and what their life really is like that was an absolute highlight for me meeting meeting either each of the characters and then getting to their final chapter yeah that was cool because it, it too like they're um you know the story they told gave you details in the pre in you know chapter one and two or whatever but then mm-hmm. once you get to that final form it's like they i don't know bear their soul or whatever it's like they yeah. finally like throw it all out there it's not just the um you know here's a little bit of why i'm on the road and like you know what i might say around some friends instead you get like the full thing which is cool right like um and then to also have the visual to go with it is yeah super super cool um so okay so we've got our 16 characters. I think the big thing worth doing is just kind of talking a little bit about their story and, I don't know, maybe things that stood out to us about it. Of course, mm-hmm. with this, since it's the open world thing, um, people could meet all of these characters in a variety of ways, really, um, because uh, depending where you go first and all that is who you might meet. But um, the mm-hmm. kind of list I was working through, uh, this wasn't the order I met them in either, but... Um, 
first person though that i wanted to talk about was cassidy and so cassidy Mm. is a guy who's a beat poet and he's on the road trying to get over the ex-love of of his life uh, a guy named silas and he basically like is sort of your tortured soul of sorts of like uh hey i feel sad and my life feels sad right now could you tell me more sad stories i want to i want to be in that kind of thing (laughs) um and as you go through the kind of big things you find out about his story is he was kind of a drifter with a group of artists of sorts of people who were you know beat poets and writers and all of that stuff and Mm -hmm. In there, um, there was like a crew of them, and he was with Silas at that time. Um, or maybe they were in sort of a cumulative relationship with several people. Um, right. But then at some point, Silas left with one of those friends and was like, I'm going to be married to her and just try to lead like a quote unquote regular life. And so yeah. Cassidy feels really disregarded and is like, well, I can't get over how I feel about this, but I can't be where we were, so I'm just going to drift until I feel differently, basically. Yeah, his story was uh, was really, really fascinating, I think. And I think his story, like many of the others that we, get, that we listen to, is one where um, we, I think we consider things like people being openly gay, like to be brand new ideas. And I found it really refreshing to listen to his, his story because uh, like homosexuality, for example, is something that's like not new. It's been around forever. And so mm-hmm. um, you could kind of tell that in his story at first, he's being a little reserved about who the ex love of his life is. You just think that they're good friends, but as he reveals more and more of himself, you realize, no, that these people were in love and his heart was, you know, broken and he's always, yeah, he's always asking for tragic stories. Um, poor guy. Um, but I thought that was, like, a, a cool thing because, to me, like, his story in particular, like, really represented, like, the evolution of, like, trust that you gained with him as he was bearing mm-hmm. more of his soul with you and as you learned more about him. Um, yeah, his, his I thought, was a really good story. Uh, yeah, really good story. Um and I thought his character was written super well. This is somebody who is a poet who is, you know, constantly writing poetry. And some of his comments to your stories is like, wow, that's something that you need to write down. Or like, wow, that really could be distilled into a poem beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that um, it was a cool perspective when he was having the conversation, uh, you know, because this game's about stories. And so to have like a writer within the game, like make comments about your stories and the stories that you're telling um, I thought were really cool. Like to me, it was almost like if you were to submit a story and like get feedback from an editor, like that's what Cassidy kind of was also as well. Um, but yeah, his, his story, like despite his talents and despite his abilities is just one of heartbreak. And I loved the conclusion with him um, because he has more of a resolve to let his heart mend. But at the same time, uh, you know, this is obviously a burden that he will have to carry with him for the rest of his life. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I guess also actually as a side point for each of these characters you meet, they actually have a different uh, writer for each of these stories. So there's, you know, 16 writers of these stories uh, throughout the game and then also a different voice actor for them. So it's pretty cool is just how Mm -hmm. 
I imagine putting to this game together was an interesting feat in itself with that in mind. Yes. Yeah, I noticed that as well, too. Like, every time you meet a character, uh, it would say, you know, the character's name, like what chapter you were on, and then it would actually list the writer's name, like Mm -hmm. the person outside the game who wrote the story and they wrote that character. And in that way, it really did feel like a collection of short stories or an anthology, just like having the writer's credit, like, so plain and obvious every time that you met a character. So I thought that was a really cool detail to include. Yeah, I I did too. It felt like 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 you said, if you ha- you picked up a, a a book of short stories with a bunch of different authors or something like that, like really cool uh, idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, our second character uh, that I wanted to talk about is uh, Fedelina, and so she uh, you meet her in the Southwest, and she's uh, a Mexican immigrant who is trying to find someone to pass her knowledge on to so we find out Mm -hmm. that she's like a a healer and sort of a a magic type thing um and as the Mm -hmm. world becomes more like medicine focused and doctors and stuff like that she starts to be kind of cast aside in her culture and Mm -hmm. as it goes on you find out that she has a daughter who was supposed to be a healer like she was supposed to have um I don't know, whatever traits you would have to be a healer. Mm -hmm. But her daughter was cursed by a witch, so she lost those potential powers. And so Mm -hmm. now kind of her mission essentially is, I need to pass on what I learned before I die. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of what you meet her in. Yeah, uh, I feel like Fidelina, like a lot of, like this story that you've summarized so well, like about her, she has something that she wants to pass on and she's afraid that her knowledge and her culture is like hitting a dead end. And mm-hmm. it's it's really, really fascinating to sort of see like the cultural aspects that she brings to healing, to like home remedies and home treatments. And um, and I mean that not in like a disparaging way, but like you said, like in Fidelina, I think we see this really big contrast between like industrialized and standardized me- medicine and medicinal practice versus like traditional healing methods. And her story was, you know, hers and somebody else that we're going to talk to. I feel like there's just so much, despite the character themselves being somebody who's like really joyful and has like a really uplifting demeanor was like, Mm -hmm. I felt like the sadness of just like, like all of this knowledge that I've accumulated cannot die with me. And that like urgency to pass it on. I thought that was illustrated really beautifully with them. And I thought Fidelina was really cool. I also loved her. This is maybe more of a silly note because she would quite often ask for stories about ghosts or witches, which I had many stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're with the right person. I have those. <laughs> yeah. Every time she would ask for like, do you have any stories about like somebody practicing the devil's art? I was like, boy, howdy, do I have like a few <laughs> stories for you? Um, yeah, but uh, so that's a bit of a lighter note, just my interaction with her. But uh, yeah, I, I loved her story. I just thought this um, this urgency to pass on knowledge and like the sadness that kind of comes with that of just thinking like if I can't find somebody to teach everything I know about, somebody who's willing to learn, somebody who wants to learn, uh, then this is going to go away. And I think in the case of Fidelina, like, like you mentioned, this is somebody who's originally from Mexico. Like they're they've moved to the United States, like for various life circumstances, 
but they're kind of willing to find anybody at this point. And so I, I felt mm-hmm. that sort of desperation in her really strongly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. She, she was, um, it, it was like the last thing she had to do for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in a similar note to our, our next character is a guy named Ray, who's, uh, mm-hmm. this cowboy who's basically fighting against industrialization. So mm-hmm. you kind of meet him and I think around Oklahoma area and he yeah. is kind of on the run because he's been tearing down like <laughs> you know fences <laughs> and things like that because he's like no it's the west we should be free i feel like he's like a yeah someone who would fit in in like the red dead redemption world you know of like <laughs> yes you know i've lived in kind of the quote-unquote wild west and now like you know all these people from out east are coming and changing things and they're putting trains here and they're trying to make mm-hmm. rules and like there's not supposed to be rules here it's the land you know like that kind of thing um mm-hmm and I, I think even I, I, we talked about this earlier, but really the theme for him, but a lot of these is just that rejection of like society is rejecting you now that you're not the way society wants it. It's like Ray mm-hmm. was probably content in the Wild West or whatever, but it's like, well, no, you know, the world's industrialized now. You don't have a place in it anymore. Or for Fidelina mm-hmm. before that, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, a healer was really valuable, but hey, we have medicines, we have hospital, you know, whatever. We don't need you anymore. Like, right. you you get that a lot. Or, or for Cassidy, well, I have this new partner. I don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you have so much of that in these of people's, um, I don't know, rejection or feeling on the outside looking in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had the exact same thought that you did about Ray. Like Ray could have been in the Vanderlyn gang from like <laughs> yep. Red Dead Redemption 2 because I mean, this is somebody who is clearly an outcast, somebody who's willing to break the law, somebody who is really upset that the notion of what the, the wild West was is no longer there. Like the West is tame now. And mm-hmm. the, I think part of this too, this isn't, doesn't factor too much into his story directly, like at all directly. But I think uh, the circumstances of being like Depression era, Dust Bowl era America is like for people like Ray, they've seen what like industrialized warfare can do after World War One. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, you know, as I've th- thought about um, literary movements that are happening during this time across the world, one is, you know, the avant-garde movement. And there's this great or massive like disillusion or uh, deception with World War One. I. I was like, mm-hmm. how is it that as like uh, a now globalized planet that we could so brutally kill each other? And this is what our technology is doing. And it's it's a really tragic, reflective moment in in literature. And so while Ray isn't necessarily you know talking about that on a global scale, for him it's like, well, this home that I've had, this Wild West, and his notion of what liberty and freedom are, this is all going away based you know because of industrialization industrialization is something it's a great evil it destroys people and that's kind of where his this Mm -hmm. background is coming from but yeah um a lot of yeah ray definitely would have had a kindred spirit i think with dutch for sure Uh, there is (laughs) there is so much that i saw in common uh between them yeah a hundred percent um our next character is Bertha. Uh, as a side point, she's voiced by Sissy Jones, who you might know as Delilah from Firewatch. 
Mm-hmm. She was also in Life is Strange as Joyce. She was in Katja and uh, Telltale's Walking Dead. So she's done a lot of stuff, but she's Bertha mm-hmm. in this game, uh, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Is that, oh, I know you um, sort of yeah. feel. Um, and her story is she's a Dust Bowl refugee. So once Oklahoma got bad, she headed out west and uh, tried to make it as a uh, like sharecropper or like picker of mm-hmm. uh, things in California. And she got to this spot where her husband just felt like so disrespected being California. I think people treating you bad as a kind of a dust bowl refugee as someone who's having difficulties, all of that. And yeah, he finally stormed off one day and took her family and went back to Oklahoma and was like, I would rather die here, uh, you know, suffering than be disrespected here any longer. Um, But she, you know, got left behind, but is like, no, I think that we could still, she thought we could still find a way to make it work here, even though it sucks. Yeah. She was one of the more interesting characters for me in terms of like how her life was directly impacted by the depression. And Mm -hmm. of course, all of the characters here, you know, indirectly they're being impacted by what's happening in the United States. And there are plenty of historical references to things going on here. But as somebody who like, was, you know, is literally a Dust Bowl refugee from Oklahoma. I thought it was cool to have her character um, in the game just to be like, okay, we're talking about this era. Here's like the major event that really defines a huge chunk of this era. And this is like what, what would, what happened to a lot of people who are living in Oklahoma at the time. And so I found her character, I guess what I'm trying to say really is that her character me felt like the most historical in the sense of like um, what was directly happening to people affected by the Dust Bowl and what that Mm -hmm. meant in terms of like migration and moving within the United States because of this, you know, massive problem. And uh, yeah, so I liked her character a lot for that. Other characters are very historical in different ways, but I think in terms of like really big defining events of the time period, Bertha felt like the one who really represented that. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. And and I think most felt um to me like that Steinbeck identification, right? Because of the Yeah. Is is it um it's not East of Eden, it's the other one where they go west. Um <laughs> uh in in the Dust Bowl and they all pack their cars in and there's dust everywhere as they're leaving. Um, yeah. Yeah. This one very much so uh encapsulates that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um then we've got August. August is a guy you meet who um Initially looks kind of like a, a burly sailor kind of guy with tattoos and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and as he's telling his story, you find out that as a child, um, he like read a bunch of books and his dad always like punished him for it. It was bad. And mm-hmm. he kind of says, reading all those books made my eyesight badly, my, uh, my eyesight bad. And so when mm-hmm. I um, when the war broke out, World War One, I, I tried to go to the army and they said, no, you can't come like you have bad eyesight. Um, you can't mm-hmm. be a soldier. And so he ended up being able to join the merchant Marines. So kind of snuck his way around to join the war. And, mm-hmm. you know, he developed camaraderie there, all that stuff. But then at one point, his entire uh, crew that he's with on his ship, they all get killed and it uh, destroys his eyesight completely. And so now he's just kind of drifting as um a person who has really no one 
uh, at all. Mm-hmm. And has e- even seen rejection before this, like, final, I don't know, tragedy for him. Yeah, if we were to make, like, other another category of some of these characters, I feel like uh, August definitely fits in with the crowd of, like, something happened to their physical ability to perform like labor like physical labor and they there was never a support system to help them do something else with their life um never to help them whether like just receive help at all period or find different ways of working or whatever it was and so he had this really interesting line where he said um like eventually you know the army rejected me um my wife and kids rejected me and the only thing that wouldn't reject me was a bottle like to drink and he became a severe alcoholic he said he, he says something along the lines of like i never needed my eyes to to find the bottle right like it was really easy to find the bottle with his lips and that to me was just like such a sad moment of like mm-hmm. august has been sort of pushed to like well this is how i have to cope like apparently like I'm just fitting along with the theme of rejection. Like him is like very much like a, like a, an ableist rejection. Like his body doesn't operate the way that it should, or it doesn't really fit in with traditional labor. Well, good luck, man. And so he's just out drifting across America. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's so sad uh, (laughs) to see. Yeah. That one's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, That one was, was brutal in that way. Yeah. Um, and the brutalness continues. Um, (laughs) Really, all of these people have largely sad stories, and sometimes there's moments of hope, but a lot of them are pretty sad. And like like you said at the beginning, I think is pretty reflective of this era of Mm -hmm. history. Like, uh, I don't know that there are a lot of people that were pretty stoked about life all the time then. (laughs) Um, It seems like it was pretty hard. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, our next person is uh, Deha, Dehaya, um, and mm-hmm. she is a member of the Navajo tribe, and she was actually forced to leave uh, her land in the Long Walk. Um, mm-hmm. So the military said, no, this is our land. You can't go here. We're sending you to this reservation. And then um, she talks about a time later on where the U.S. government said, hey, actually, um you can or need to leave this reservation and go back to where you were originally from. And maybe that's the new reservation. Maybe you're just allowed to go back. I was a little Mm -hmm. unclear on that, but either way, um, she does end up heading back there and is kind of recounting this. And there's sort of this, like, you know, the land was holy. Mm -hmm. And so I want to return to it, but also like there's a lot of trauma and hardship that surrounded this whole thing. Cause it was horrible. Yeah, I think hers was another like really historical character in the sense of this is somebody like, okay, what happened to the people who were forced to leave the land in the long walk and, and what, you know, what became of them? And I thought her story was really powerful in that way. There's this really beautiful moment when she talks about, and this is in her final chapter, which by the way, her, her physical, like, her not physical but like her i don't know what we want to say like spiritual or soul ex, mm. you know artistic representation was her homeland and it was like these four mm-hmm. peaks these four like uh mountain peaks that had spiritual significance to her which i thought was really cool 
But she mm-hmm. says this really, really neat thing where she says that walking back, she was afraid that the land, like, what if the land rejected me? What if the land had moved on? What if the land didn't recognize me? Uh-huh. And I just thought that was really cool. Just like being able to catch a glimpse of like, okay, for her, like, what did, what was the land and how forceful was really uprooting these people and making them go somewhere else where they had no attachment, where they had never lived, where, you know, generations passed, like they don't have any connection to this land when the connection to land for her was so significant. And I thought it was really cool seeing that in her artistic soul portrait. I guess that's what I'm just going to call it now. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, uh, So I thought that was really cool. And hers actually ends with something that sounded really poetic where, um, like, may I walk in the beauty, may the beauty walk above me, may the beauty walk alongside of me. And I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. But to me, it sort of felt like it was it communicated well what it meant to return to her homeland and try to reestablish that connection. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I thought that that was something that, like like you mentioned, that the story told really well, too, of, um, you know, that whole stuff was horrible obviously but like clearly a horrible thing to do mm-hmm. uh that the united states did then um but <laughs> even just the it wasn't just shitty of like hey this this was your place it's not anymore you have to go to this other place we decided for you but it's like no this like connection to the land all of these things it's, it's even more than just the on the face kind of right shittiness you'd observe or whatever like it's <laughs> it's it's more than that which is I thought that this really displayed that in a way that I hadn't like thought that hard about before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's really what it was. And I so I think one of her stories was probably one of the most powerful for me in that way, um, because I felt like um, a lot of the other stories, maybe I'd, I had heard or maybe read something about that historical event and maybe had like a vague idea of what uh, those people went through. But I feel like for her, like I very much learned from this experience um like mm-hmm. oh like this is what these people had to deal with and this is way more significant and it was told in such a way that i mean it was good storytelling in the sense that it, it really educated me like oh wow so this is exactly why this was hard it's because this literal like uprooting from the land had really spiritual consequences for these people um wow that's way more significant than just the way that i've heard it previously i guess yeah yeah Totally. Um, our next character is Rose. Uh, she's voiced by Sarah Elmala. Um, she was Katie in Gone Home. She was also a Polyon in After Party, so she's been around mm-hmm. in some things. Uh, this mm-hmm. one was also the one uh, written by uh, Johanneman Nordhagen, so um, I don't know. I took note of that. This one got four chapters. It was one of the couple that got four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And her story overall is she was uh, a hippie i think she tried to show up for like the summer of love but was a little late um and Mm -hmm. then kind of fell in with a bunch of people who followed around the grateful dead (laughs) um and like had a significant other who was part of that followed the grateful dead around for a couple years um and then kind of finally like joined a commune uh after that and then ended up being a drifter and that's how you met her but so she's mm-hmm. had certainly a, an interesting life yes yeah i felt like hers was very much was quite unique compared to the other ones mm-hmm. um 
I didn't feel like the same level of like tragedy. Like you said, like we've kind of been going through it as we've been yep. you know, <laughs> talking about each of these characters. I wouldn't necessarily say that Rose was like really lighthearted, but it was definitely um, not nearly as like sad. And I, which honestly, sometimes when you're like knee deep in things that are just really sad all the time, it's really refreshing, you know, to have, you know, the mm-hmm. comic relief in there. That's why it's, you know, in movies and in books everywhere. And so I thought hers um, was super interesting in that way, right? This was a very different character. I think you first meet her like outside of Portland. I think I'm you're not right. mistaken. Um, maybe maybe in California, I might be getting her. I'm pretty sure it's Portland. But yeah, I mean, I really liked hers because it was just different. You know, it was refreshing to, to get a different story in there. I, yeah, I agree. Because you're right. Most of them have been more tragic in nature um, with some hope sprinkled in. And it was nice to get something that was just kind of different from that where it was, um, I don't know, experiences and stuff like that. But it wasn't just sad. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I agree. She was nice to meet because of that. Um, mm-hmm. Our next one uh, adds more tragedy, though, uh, as a lot of them yeah. do, <laughs> <laughs> which is a guy uh, named Little Ben. Uh, and you meet him, I think, in like the West Virginia type area. Um, yeah. And he'd worked as a union miner. And you find out that like he's he kind of has to drift because people like beat him up for being in the union kind of thing. Like yeah. one of your early meetings, he's like, hey it'd be best if you say you don't know me and I don't know you because like, I don't want you to get beat up for being around mm-hmm. someone who supports the union. <laughs> um, right. Like, right. Like it, it, it's kind of wild. And then as his story like culminates, he tells you about his brother who I guess was called big Ben, um, which is, I don't know, a lot to unpack in itself. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but his older brother, I guess, uh, seemingly died in a mining accident when he was like 10. So he was like Mm -hmm. a child, but forced to work in the mines and something bad happened and he died. And little Ben is basically like living in the shadow of his brother. Like he doesn't go by Ben. Like he still calls himself little Ben and like feels like he's in his brother's shadow. And I, I don't know, maybe being part of the union, it's like he wants to try to do this the right way. So kids don't die in mines, but like, it's just all around pretty rough yeah his was was really really tragic in a lot of ways and uh like you mentioned like this relationship you know with his brother with big ben is is what he talks about a lot at you know in Mm -hmm. the first chapters i feel like and so i kind of at first was like oh you know little ben like he's he's dealing with this this grief and trauma and he hasn't really been able to reconcile it and it's just you know, it was really sad. But as I was listening to his story more and more, like, I feel like if the story in the foreground is the relationship with his brother, the story in the background is like how devastating mining work conditions really were. Mm -hmm. And it's because those work conditions sucked so much that they claimed the lives of many people, including his brother. And Mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, in addition to trying to, you know, live with the burden of that type of you know, really close loss in your life. He's trying to deal with like the political ramifications of what that means for like labor rights and what that means for just, you know, working in a mind generally in his story. Um, uh, I, I thought a lot of the book of the jungle by Upton Sinclair, mm. um, 
which uh, that book, oof. I mean, if you want, if you like the tragedy here, I mean, go read the, the jungle. <laughs> also, very tragic, but in the sense of uh, the the jungle is really about labor conditions um, before World War One, so it's a slightly different time period. And uh, that book is very much advocating for labor rights and, and workers' rights generally, and clean and healthy and safe work conditions. And uh, I feel like Little Ben's story very much reflected those themes where, hey, like deep down in a mine, who is going to go down there and inspect that this is really safe? Who's going to go down there and like make sure that all the rules are being kept? And the answer is no one. I mean, no one's really doing that. And Little Ben is, you know, fighting to just try to survive. And he... Yeah, and that's why he joined the union, right? You know, he wants to make those changes happen and he wants to be a part of those changes, but a lot of people don't like that. They don't like that idea. They want the status quo to continue as it is. And so Little Ben very much for me um, is one of the characters that I thought was really emblematic of like the worker struggle and how there wasn't a lot of protection for workers. Yeah, totally. Have you um have you played Kentucky Route 0? This, oh my gosh. No. No? <laughs> I'm okay. like embarrassed. I'm like embarrassed to say it because I have it on my home screen of my Xbox. And like every day I look at it and I'm like, <laughs> I need to start this game. And then and then the Annapurna Interactive, you know, the, the devs from Kentucky Razio came on and they said that they're working on something new. And I was like, no, I, now I really have to that... play it. So I'm embarrassed to say it, but no. That no, that's okay. I played it last year, but there is a part where similar working conditions. There's a part that comes up in that game that is reminiscent of that. And this game, I would mm. say, uh, of games I could compare to this game, Kentucky Route Zero would be one in that realm for sure. So, gotcha. If you end up in a spot down the line where you're like, I really want some of the more things that you get from this game, Kentucky Route Zero is. Definitely a good, right. uh, a good I thing. To do it, yeah. Uh, when whenever you want to scratch that itch again, because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it totally hits that. But that I I I felt that with this too. I was like, ooh, this reminds me of Kentucky Route Zero, and uh, mm-hmm. other things did too. But this game, this little bit specifically, did as well. Mm, okay. Um, our next character, more tragedy, is Quinn. <laughs> um, uh, Quinn's like a teenage boy who's voiced by Melissa Hutchison, who people might know as Clementine in Telltale's Walking Dead, or TJ in The Wolf Among Us. So, um, again, familiar voice. And uh, Quinn is probably the person most people met first, because Quinn starts out in um, northeast maybe boston maybe even before that like you meet quinn very early yeah very um, early i almost want to say like southern maine like he he might just be right near the start yeah it is very very early um mm-hmm. and quinn is yeah this middle school aged kid who's just drifting and at first they're just like hey you know uh tell me a scary story story nothing scares me because i'm basically an adult and you're like all right Right. um you know things like that and finally you know as the game goes on they open up to you and you find out that their family basically said hey you can't live on the farm anymore like we've hit um hard times you know and can't afford things so see ya uh good Mm -hmm. luck kind of thing and one of the things that they said that like stood out to me was they had a younger sibling that was left back home and a kind of reflection they had in their last chapter was like, 
I don't know if I'm like happy for them that, you know, maybe they had a life that worked out and they don't know about this, or I don't know if I'm pissed about it and that like, I hope that they also have a bad life because I didn't deserve this. Like there's, there's sort mm-hmm. of a comment in the realm and it was like, that that's interesting. That would be a pretty complicated way to feel. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, when I first ran into Quinn, I definitely kind of thought that this like, Oh, this is like, you know, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, somebody just kind of out on the road. Like, mm-hmm. like I kind of thought of him as like more of a runaway. Right. And then as you get to his final chapter and it's cool because, you know, Quinn is uh, one of the character portraits that's really interesting. You really can't see Quinn's face very well. Quinn's mm-hmm. got this, like, big straw hat. There's a shadow that's kind of covering his eyes. He's there with his two dogs, and I'm, I'm forgetting their name. Um, and then his character portrait is really a lot scarier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It's like this, it's almost, it's like this big, like almost hooded figure. You really can't see the face at all. I feel like his hands are skeletal and his dogs are like inside what looks like this big robe or like almost trench coat mm-hmm. type of thing. And then when he finally starts telling his story and the the part that you mentioned, right, where he's no runaway, right? He was kicked off the farm, like as a, as a like middle school age. And his parents basically just said, yeah, we're kind of done with you. And then, yeah, he talks about how he had a baby sister at the time. And I I love the way that you summarized it. I think you summarized it super well. But really just like those really complicated feelings that he has to deal with. Like he knows about this baby sister. And this is you can kind of tell and feel that this is somebody that he really loved and then was just like forced to be away from because of Mm -hmm. his parents of all people. And so... Just like all that oh, ugly, complicated feelings that he has to kind of travel with. And I, I kind of left his story like being glad that Quinn was able to make a better life for himself. And then at the same time, you know, it was very bittersweet, just sad that he was forced to do that. And mm-hmm. so I think his character portrait to me, like kind of represented somebody who you know, I thought he was all talk about when he was talking about how he's tough and, you know, roughing it out in the wild. But his character portrait, just like being super big, like a really big presence, like much mm-hmm. bigger than Quinn is. I was like, yeah, this is somebody who was kind of forced to grow up in like a really terrible way. And I thought the character portrait like represented that pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, that, that was the portrait I think I was most surprised by of yeah. what you got, what you got versus what you started with. You're like, oh, this is, yeah, this is different than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. Our next character uh, is Dupree. She's um, a grifter, basically. And <laughs> you, you find out that she kind of is lying along the way. And in your like second to last meeting, she ends up stealing from you. Yes. <laughs> And so a lot of her stuff is like that she just talks big. I would say that that's her main thing is she talks big and like, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And it seems to be kind of involved in the, um, I don't know, exciting life as she's like grifting and doing grifting related things. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> like at this point, like it's very obvious to feel sympathy for a lot of these characters Like, after Dupree, like, robbed me, I was like, um, I don't know if I feel that much sympathy for you anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I'm 
her her like final character portrait too was somebody who looked like very lavish and cunning, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she was the the one character that I think was really different from all the others in that I was like she has had a tragic life, but she is equally doling out tragedy to other people, mm-hmm. and so. And part of it is like, how much do we really blame Dupree for this, right? She just has to get by also. And she has to um, overcome obstacles like any one of us, but she is also willing to dish it out too. And so I thought she was just kind of, um, I, I don't know. I just thought she was a really different character in that way where she was, I didn't feel like a whole lot of empathy for her. But at the same time, I thought to myself, she's still living a hard life and she still has to deal with a lot of the, the hardness that these other characters are dealing with. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree. She, she sort of stood out in that way for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, next up we got Jimmy. Jimmy, uh, is a guy who lied about his age to get into world war one. Um, he was 17, but he enlisted, um, and when he enlisted, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm a preacher. So he became like a chaplain. And in fact, he was a part, uh, a part of like a, a famous black regiment in the war um, mm-hmm. who was kind of known. And so he was in World War One. And then when he got back, he just kept preaching. So he was never a preacher when he entered World War One, um, <laughs> but he just kind of rolled with that. Um, and you can even tell he's a pretty good speaker and engaging in that way. And I think mm-hmm. he just said it and people believed him. And he's basically made his living being that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's been a traveling preacher since then. And something he comments on part part of the way through is like, yeah, I don't really know what I believe. You know, I go to churches and whatever kind of church they are and who they need. That's what I am. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. Baptist a lot, sometimes a Presbyterian. I've even been Catholic before. <laughs> it's what the people need, and I try to tell the stories that people need to hear uh, mm-hmm. sort, sort of thing. And so he he's he's pretty interesting in, in that way of, um, mm-hmm. again, a kind of different character. Not necessarily tragedy in him. He's almost, um, he's not malintent like Dupree is, but he's, he's, he's sort of uh, a kindred spirit in that, I would say. Yeah, it, it's funny because uh, you get the confession of the preacher like at the end of his story, and it's about how he's not a preacher and he's lied and all these things. I, I think you're right, though. Like He is a kindred spirit to D- Dupree in that way, right, where he is, I don't know, it's like he's, I mean, he's he's a lot like her in that he's kind of lying with most of everything that he's doing. But mm-hmm. he's the big difference, obviously, between him and her is that he's like conning people to do good to them. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and you're right. Like, he's not really like he's suffered a lot. And he mentions, you know, when he was in the black regiment, World War One, he was like the, the U.S. government didn't even want us. You know, they sent us over to the French. Like mm-hmm. and the, the French were the ones that gave, gave all the orders and was in charge of that regiment. But, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting for him. Uh, I think he's like a great example of like, he might not even be like a Christian. Like he might not even believe in God, but he definitely believes in the idea of like Christian goodwill, you know, like do good unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Mm-hmm. And so he's like all about like that message and that attitude. And he is traveling with that purpose to help people out. And a lot of times it's like in a religious context. Sometimes it's like, yeah, we're going to baptize people and I'll just go help baptize the people. But I felt like for him, um, he, he felt like he was doing so much good and he was helping people find reconciliation like through religion, even if he didn't believe it in times where people were feeling rejected and sort of needed some type of peace. So I felt like he just like fulfilled this role like, hey, religion's supposed to give people peace. That's something that I can do even if I don't believe it. And so that's what he did. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's so interesting. Conning for good. <laughs> that, yeah. that comment you mentioned. <laughs> it it's so it's so interesting because it's like he his life could probably be easier. And if I don't know he, if he did something else, if he you know having yeah. to be like a traveling preacher, um, but it's for other people's good. It's just such an interesting guy that you meet along the way compared to a lot of other people. He's notably different. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, in some absolutely. ways. Yeah. Um, our next guy is a guy named Franklin. Um, his story, I think I mostly remember what he did as opposed to some of his story, but he's a porter, which is like a railroad company worker. Um, and I, the big thing I think I remember is like his sort of loyalty to the company, but then sort of the difficulties you have with being someone who, um, He's not in customer service exactly, but kind of <laughs> like yeah. your challenges of that. That was the big thing I kind of took from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I felt like his went uh, parallel with somebody else that we're still going to talk about. Uh, Franklin, like as a porter, he, um, he he talks a lot about the racism that he has to deal with. But mm. it's he's in a position, like you said, where it's like kind of customer service. It's it's not the same as like the really like labor intensive positions that a lot of black people found themselves in and all the suffering, like mm-hmm. literal, physical and uh, the racism that they felt. And so for me, it almost felt like Franklin was uh, sort of represented like that kind of transition towards the civil rights movement where this mm-hmm. is a black person who's like in a very public and he's in white spaces a lot. And so he's just dealing with racism in different ways. And so I thought he was an interesting character for that, for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, No, that's good. And then uh, we've got Mason. Uh, Mason was a soldier in World War I who lost his leg during the war. And also his brother was killed during the war. And Mm -hmm. when he gets home, um, his family rejects him. He talks about his sister. And who basically, like, kind of blames him. Like, your brother died while you were out there. This is your fault. I'm cutting off from you kind of thing. Um, And then he also experiences his country rejecting him. uh, That, you know, that we don't, the government doesn't care about wounded soldiers. We cared about you while you were over there, quote unquote. Now that you're here, like, stay out of the way, basically. And we don't care what happens to you. Um, And his, like hopeful moment i would say or like where you could see him be proud is when he like marched on washington with other soldiers other vets who'd been rejected and were like you need to give us this payment that you said you would like this is wrong that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and so his story was tragic but i did feel like there was some hope in that as he got to like stand for an ideal 
Yeah, I think uh, him versus a lot of the other characters in this game, he definitely had a moment where he could voice his frustrations and show resolve towards change. Mm-hmm. Where like most people here are just like beaten down by the way things are. Mm-hmm. And they have to suffer those tragedies and they just have to figure out a way to get by. But yeah, Mason was super interesting because he was a soldier. And then he mentions at one point that it was his uh, identical twin, I think, that yeah. was killed. And that for him was was really difficult because they were close. And his his final you know character portrait, his artistic soul portrait, is like a person torn in half. And yeah. on one half, it's him, you know, in his military uniform uh, with his leg. And the other half is like him as a drifter now. And I just thought that was really cool because I thought it represented really way. Just like he wanted so badly to like belong to something. Um, but all those things that he was trying to cling on to, like his family, uh, the army, the government, they all pushed him so far away. And so I, I like that sort of visual representation of him being torn. And then mm-hmm. I, I think you said it really well. Like he, that moment of sort of like optimism or hope or a resolve is like when he talks about how he marched on Washington and how he was trying to advocate for change and he was trying to get the government to like recognize like what exactly the war had done to vets. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a really cool moment for him um, and, and for us as we got to experience that part of his story. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I thought that was... And he's one of your early people you can meet, too. I think he's on the East Coast area, too. So he was someone I met early on. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, Our next person is Shaw. Uh, He's voiced by Dave Fenoy, who was Lee in Telltale's Walking Dead. He was Okir in Mass Effect 2. He's Satan in After Party. Um, he's great. <laughs> he, he was maybe my favorite character to talk to because his voice actor has such a great voice. Um, oh, yeah. He, he's so good. Um, absolutely perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And so Shaw is a guy who was a sharecropper who lived in the South and had experienced a lot of racism and suffering and things that went along with that. Um and one thing that stood out in his story to me was he uh, had a son who lived in Chicago and was like, you should come up here. They treat us really well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's totally different than in the South. And then he describes this experience of um, getting to Chicago and at first seeing, oh, well, you know, like there is more opportunity here, whatever. But then as time goes on, it's like, oh, these white people are also shitty, just in a different way. <laughs> Um, and you know, it it looks different, but it still sucks. And just that, um, this suffering has continued even in a new place that seemed different sort of thing. Um, so yeah, his story was pretty sad. A lot of hardship as well. Yeah. This is, this is the story that I was thinking of that like works pretty well in parallel with, uh, Franklin's story. I think Mm -hmm. with Shaw's story though, it's it's a bit more obvious you know when he talks about dealing with racism and and mm-hmm. how that's impacted him and yeah i think i mean you shared the moment that i was thinking of too he was you know invited to go up north right and hey it's better here and it's actually just a different kind of bad um and so you just kind of choose you know what kind of bad you want to deal with um i th- i think shaw for me definitely represented like 
uh, the Jim Crow laws, right? And how mm-hmm. after the Civil War, uh, things didn't magically get better for black people. Um, right. And how they're still dealing with, you know, I mean, they're dealing with Jim Crow and they're dealing with, with those types of cultural norms and attitudes and literal laws that are still written against them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So on to our final two. Uh, we've gone through quite a few characters. One I have mm-hmm. a little less information on, so I figure hit up first, is uh, Rocio. And so she's mm-hmm. a, a migrant r- worker. And her story, to be honest, I feel a little more fuzzy with, but I feel like her kindred spirit would be uh, Bertha with the Dust Bowl. It seemed like sort of the same thing of like trying to mm-hmm. get work and face struggle with being a, um, I don't know, struggle with being rejected kind of by the people who are uh, employing you or whatever. That's the big thing I remember. Do you remember more details on that one? For some reason, that one was fuzzy for me. Yeah, uh, hers, I felt like... Um... <laughs> Hers was always one of the hardest ones for me because she was always asking for funny stories. <laughs> and so hers, I yes. felt like I, I came back to a lot just like uh, because of the game mechanics and I was really struggling um, to progress her story. Um, yeah, so she, she to me, I saw some similarity with Fidelina also and that this mm. is somebody who um, has roots or has heritage that's not from the united states but this is somebody who is sort of juggling you know that heritage but also living in the states to me this is somebody who um, we actually just went over this in one of my classes when we were talking about like the history of immigration from latin america Hmm. to the united states in the 20th century and um when people talk about latin american immigration to the united states into canada and now they talk about it as something that's like kind of new from the 90s when in reality you know throughout the 20th century in particular there's been tons of immigration um and uh at one point so like during so this is a little after this time but during world war ii um you know we're all very familiar with the rosie the riveter you know image uh yes we can right Mm -hmm. um during that time, the United States had very lax immigration laws and just to get a bunch of Latin American men to come work the positions that a lot of the men who were out fighting had vacated. And so during that time, for example, there was just a huge wave of immigration. Um, But before then, which is the time we're dealing with here, is during the Depression, there were very strict immigration laws and it was really difficult for somebody of... uh, latin american uh, descent to find a place in the united states and and it was very much a mentality of hey we need to take care of our own we can't take care of you you know why are you here and it's Mm. very similar rhetoric to what we hear now about like oh these people are going to come and they're going to steal our jobs and it's going to be this big problem Mm -hmm. Um, and so i feel like her story kind of reflects a little bit of that this is somebody who is well-versed in multiple cultures, but it finds themselves in the United States right now and sort of just has to grapple with, okay, how do I make a place here? This place doesn't really want me, but I'm not going back uh, to Latin America. You know, that's not exactly where her place is either. Um, Yeah, I mean, during this time period, I think I feel like there are a lot of people um, from Latino descent who are, are struggling with with some of those issues 
And I just think that for, so like she definitely represented that. Um, but she, I mean, like I said, she was one of the more difficult for characters for me to progress her story anyway. <laughs> and so I felt like I was getting a lot of dead ends with mm. what she was trying to tell me in each of her, each time I met her in, in each chapter. Yeah. No, yeah, that makes sense. That, um, something you said there too, that I think is, uh, notable is, with what's going on now today and i felt that a lot through this whole game is there are all these issues that were you know prevalent a hundred years ago ish uh maybe a little Mm -hmm. less um and unfortunately a lot of them still resonate in their own way some of them are like yeah it's the same and some of them are a little better or a little worse or you know that kind of thing but right yeah um I don't know. That stood out to me is obviously that or this game, you know, came out a couple of years ago. So it's not old in terms of who wrote it, but the struggles right. felt very probably accurate to what was going on then. But then unfortunately, mm-hmm. pretty relatable to life now, too. And um, that feeling of rejection by, you know, your family, your country, your working conditions, whatever. Um, right. These people uh, are experiencing similar things to a lot of what happens now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the game was really well done in that regard, right? Uh, where you play it, you know, and, you know, we were playing it in 2022, and it's like, wow, this game is supposed to be taking place, like, nearly 100 years ago. <laughs> How much has really changed since yeah. then, right? Yeah, it, it made you feel that way, and some of them you're like, ooh, this is not good. This is bad. Like, um, yeah. You know, like, like, like the, like with Mason or August, like people who were veterans that are just rejected and the country doesn't care anymore. Like that's right. been all, all over the news the last few years right? Um, yeah, with, yeah. Dif- with different bills that have shown up and things like that. And you're like, that sucks. Like, it, you know, there's probably a modern day equivalent to what these guys are doing right now, you know, like of what right. Mason would be. He's probably not, you know, drifting on railroads now today but there's probably something that's similar and it's like oh man that's yeah that that sucks that we haven't um gotten better as a country in some of these things um yeah yeah uh the last character though is althea uh althea is a blues singer um and she got signed when she was young um to a label and at first, she kind of did it like, you know, I always wanted to do the blues, but I'm also doing this to support my family, my brother, my younger brother who I'm close with. Like, this is going to be good for him. And then mm-hmm. kind of as time went, being a blues musician, she lost roots at home. Um, I think she was from Memphis, maybe. Uh, and she stopped going back. Um, she you know, stopped even thinking about her brother because she was caught up in the blues. And -hmm. then later on, her story kind of culminates in this spot where her record label contract ends and she's sort of trying to figure out what's next. And she manages to strike a deal with the devil uh, and say, you know, I will, you know, give my soul to you or whatever if you make me the best blues blues musician of all time. And... Mm -hmm. The devil's like, yeah, I got you. Um, and she has this huge influence. Like, the way she plays guitar, the way she sings, it, like, defines blues music. If anyone in blues that you knew about 
you know, Althea was, you know, one of my key influences, you know, that sort of thing. But then, mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, signing a deal with the devil has the other side. And the other side mm -hmm. is Blues fell out of favor. No one cares about Blues. So she was super influential for a short spot. And then after that, she's just a person playing guitar in the streets to try to make money. Like this, you know, ultimate, um, I don't know, crash and burn in terms of fame sort yeah. of thing after this uh, ill-fated deal. Yeah, her story, um, also a little unique. I mean, obviously, there's a mm -hmm. lot of tragedy in her story. It, it feels like really personal tragedy in her story um, compared to all the other ones, right? Since... We're on this task from the dire wolf to find true stories. Hers was definitely the one that felt the most like fantastical or supernatural out of all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a, for me, it just, it just resonated a little differently, right? Like I, I didn't walk away feeling like great sympathy or necessarily sadness because to me, hers felt more like a story rather than like a personal intimate history. But I mean, nonetheless, I mean, it was still a really cool story. And I think it resonated like pretty well with the time era and like tall tales. And obviously with um, our character, right, who we are making weird deals with shady people. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so her story definitely for me made me made me probably think more about like what I was doing as the player, as the protagonist, right, in this story what and i it kind of made me wonder like what exactly did i get into here with direwolf mm -hmm. yep I, I agree i like that she was a a difference in there of like the more fantastical story i thought that was cool mm -hmm. to kind of have that um among these so um okay so these are all our characters uh we've gone in depth with them as we said you meet them three or four times and once you actually meet all of them, you collect their stories, you uh, can then return to the direwolf. And you see the direwolf as a spot on your map, as someone to go to. And you can go to the direwolf and be like, I've completed uh, my task. I've collected all these true stories that you wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, also, I, I guess along the way, you can die and give the direwolf <laughs> stories along the way, which... Um, uh it's unusual um i didn't expect being able to die in this game but you can <laughs> uh, but uh kind of in conclusion you get to share the dire story with the dire wolf and uh he basically is like okay you found you found these stories that so they can live on right that's kind of his main thing yeah i mean i think there's <laughs> no i mean that's what he says right but he's obviously very tricky figure mm -hmm. and reveals sort of his true nature here at the end um yeah it was it was fascinating when i had gotten my or completed the final story i actually just sat at a campground um and there he was and i talked to him and yeah and it's funny um yeah i so i died several times playing this game something that really mm -hmm. surprised me because the character you are is kind of like a skeleton with a straw hat, you know, and like the sticking, yep. you know, knapsack. And um, it was funny. Um, I so I actually died a few times. Like I said, I didn't discover mm -hmm. fast travel until very late in the game, so I was hopping a lot of trains. Well, there's always the risk that you get caught hopping a train. If you do, you get beat by mm -hmm. the train conductor. Like they'll just savagely beat you. 
And that happened a few times to me when I had low health and I just ended up dying. Yep. And <clears throat> when you die, you do meet up again with the dire wolf. And so I had a few opportunities um, to, to talk to him and you can share the stories with him there. Right. And so interacting with him is like interacting with people at any campfire. Mm-hmm. And so every now and then I would share like those stories with him. Um, and then I would just go back out and continue the game. But, yeah, when you finally meet with him, he congratulates you on completing the task. And he sounds really grateful. But he also kind of says smirkingly that uh, he's like, I'm not entirely certain that you remember all the terms of our deal. And it made me think, okay, so this is what he's really asking. You know, what is it? Obviously, you know, we're already we've already done the spoiler caveat, but major spoilers. This is the final thing that happens at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the direwolf smiles in his character portrait. Now, he doesn't transform, but he slowly opens his jaws and you look into his jaws and it kind of looks like a starry night sky. And then, you know, it gets closer and closer to the screen until you're consumed. Mm-hmm. He he just consumes you and then the credits roll and I started laughing because I <laughs> not because I mean, just cause I didn't know what to think. I was like, Oh man. So he's just gonna, he's just kind of going to eat us. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was kind of funny and I thought it was, but very cool. I mean, like as we were going through the game and we're getting people to reveal their true selves and these, you know, really soul like wrenching soulful, personal, intimate stories um, we get all these stories from these people. I mean, they've they reveal themselves to us, and I think the artistic soul portrait, you know, is a really cool visual representation of that happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've revealed almost, I feel like, too much to us in like a supernatural sense, where like we know so much about them. And at the very end, the dire wolf kind of does that to us. He kind of collects that those little tidbits of souls that we have found in these true stories and then he just collects us for whatever purpose i mean we don't really know he doesn't really explain it he certainly doesn't feel the need to explain it but we we've kind of been like he saw us you know as an opportunity to like kill you know 16 birds with one stone right yeah as we gathered all of these these bits of people's souls and bring them to him yeah, that that that's interesting. And I guess too the wolf and that whole imagery, right? It's like he devours their souls, our souls, the stories. There's I don't know. I that's, mean, that's how I kind of read yeah, it, you know. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's just something and I'm still kind of working through like what I would consider to be like my main interpretation of the game. But there's there's something about like it's a beautiful thing to reveal your true like intimate self with somebody else. But it's also a dangerous thing. It's it's like an opening that somebody well, now they know you. I mean, there's no secrets left. And mm. a huge part of the game, you know, is finding, you know, you tell all these stories and then they get embellished. And as they get embellished, they get less truthful. And so they are kind of, they they don't have that soul in them necessarily. They have a lot of entertainment. They're really 
fascinating, you know, and they're interesting to listen to and we like listening to them, but they don't resonate in quite the same way. They don't, they just don't hit the same way. And so it, yeah, it's like, it's a beautiful thing to reveal that part of yourself, but it's also a dangerous thing because now people know you who know who you really are and they can judge Mm. you for that. They can, they can sympathize with you for that too. And to a certain degree, I think, you know, with the wolf, like eating at the end, they can also exploit that. Yeah, that's, that's really good. A thing that was kind of scrolling through my mind as you were talking about that is so with you, the character, and you meet these characters, the, you know, you talk to these characters we talked about, and then they reveal their true self, that sort of stuff. There's this, um, I don't know, intimacy that's a part of this, right? That like, I showed you my real self. I'm, you know, laid bare, whatever, that kind of thing. Right. And for our character, you know, we had to tell the stories to build rapport with them. We've become close, you know, whatever, all of that stuff that they would choose to do something like that. And that's like great in that context because we've built that relationship with them that they would want to share those things. We didn't like coax it out of them like, hey, you know, tell us the hard stuff. You know, instead we built a relationship with them and it happened. But then the dire wolf to just feast on that is um he he's not entitled to that he he doesn't earn that intimacy he just right. steals it kind of thing uh that's i i really really like that this is this is good because when that happened I, I think that i like just looked at it surface value and almost wondered if we were getting put in a time loop and we had to do it again oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is what i took it as uh i don't know why i think what you described is much better and makes significantly more sense <laughs> um but i think because of the starry night sky i was like oh cool you're back on the journey like sort of a um sisyphus like pushing the stone up the hill sort of thing <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean i i think both ideas really do work i mean i think i really like how you said it too like at the very end, like we we really see how scheming and cunning and and downright mm-hmm. cruel the dire wolf is because he takes these things that he is not entitled to, right? Like these mm-hmm. sixteen people, and you said it very well. So I'm really just summarizing what you said. These sixteen people, like we did not force anything out of them. We did not beat them in a you know in a sketchy poker deal forcing them to reveal their their true selves right Mm -hmm. we did this through through kinship through swapping stories through spending time together and then to just have the dire wolf i mean come through and just just take it at right i mean it it definitely leaves you with like a bitter maybe like empty feeling towards like um of all the rejection and like exploitation as themes that are discussed about in the game uh and it's almost kind of fitting, right? Like at the very end, like, well, and, and you got that too. You also got screwed. Yeah, that's true. I think that does fit. I guess that in retrospect, we should have seen it coming because of what, <laughs> what we what, what, what we saw in everyone else. Uh, that the dire wolf, of course, would be the same way. Uh, yeah, that, we should have seen it. We didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't at all. I thought that. Uh, I don't know, we'd be finally allowed to die or something. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that it would, it would be over. We fulfilled the contract sort of thing. and Right, know, yeah, yeah. Something like that, and it, it it wasn't, you know. So that's, no, that's cool. Um, so, okay, I feel like that's kind of your end cap of the game. So finally, I wanted to leave some t- a spot for us 
if there's anything else we really wanted to talk about with the game uh, that we didn't get to talk about along the way. Um, I only have one thing. I feel like we got to talk about a lot of good stuff. But one thing that's a very interesting read is uh, Johanneman Nordhagen wrote a a postmortem on this game on uh, Mm, medium.com. And it's really, really interesting. I wish that more games would do this. Like I would, after experiencing this, I wish I could read a postmortem for every game I've ever read, ever played, you know, (laughs) because what he does that's really cool is he's like, okay, here's what works. And he lists, you know, four or five things that worked well in the game. Like we did this thing, it really landed. Or, and then on the other side, he lists four or five things that really didn't work. Um, And then kind of draws some conclusions and stuff. Um, But one thing that's, pretty interesting in this that i don't know it, it's just kind of wild is one of the things he comments on is he says you know this game had uh some award success i think award shows kind of played this and were like this is pretty cool you should check this out reviewers saw some of that um but he commented uh that in the first month it sold uh, less copies than he has of Twitter Twitter followers, and he doesn't have a lot of Twitter followers. And I was like, mm. whoa, that's crazy. Like, um, you know, it has this kind of buzz and then just falls flat commercially, like, um, and wasn't, you know, a success in those ways. And a comment he makes along the way in that article, too, is like, I don't know if there's a place for indie games like this where it's so experimental and not normal um, <laughs> because it because of how hard it flopped in that arena. And I don't know. I just thought it was super interesting. And I don't know, being able to see, see something like that and choose to say it, uh, I thought was cool mm-hmm. that he chose to. But um, I don't know. It's it's super interesting. I hope this game gets a cult following. I feel like it deserves it. Like I think this is the right game for the right people, um, which I think are us, um, like I said at the beginning. But right. um, I hope it develops something like that where it gets some of a second life because I think that the people this is for, I think, could really enjoy it. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because um, what I had read after beating this game... Well, first of all, like I've mentioned a few times now, I didn't discover the fast travel until the very end. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was I was searching about it like, oh, man, what's up with the fast travel? And then this was something that was patched in later um, mm. because of complaints about just how slow the game is. And don't get me wrong. This game is... I mean, you're moving slow. I mean, you can... There's a whistle mechanic <laughs> that helps you right. speed up. You can hitchhike... You can hop trains, you can earn money, and you can get train tickets. And so there are ways to travel more quickly across the map. Um, I actually rarely did the whistling because I enjoyed the music too much. And the whistling would uh, be louder than the music. And Mm -hmm. I just preferred to listen. I mean, um, don't get me wrong. When I knew that I had to walk a long distance, um, you know, you can, there's a button you can press that will just automatically walk so you don't have to hold the stick forward. And I would just kind of, it almost felt like an idle game in that regard where there were moments where I could just maybe work on other things or, uh, you know, just scroll on my phone because I knew I was going to have to walk for like five minutes to get somewhere. Now, I (laughs) didn't, yeah, and the thing was, is like, I didn't really see this too much of a, like being too much of a problem for me 
but also thinking about who I am as a player. Like this game is definitely like a game that I would enjoy. Like I'm definitely the target demographic demographic for this type of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said at the very beginning of, of this conversation, I mean, if you really like really well-written things, if you like short stories, if you like, you know, good literature, I think this is definitely the game for you. And so um, I think it's interesting that you mentioned in this postmortem um, just is is the target demographic like too niche here? Like, mm-hmm. it, is it too experimental? And um, I don't know. I just kind of feel like with with the way that gaming has evolved, you can find an audience for almost anything. Like um, the the most recent Wholesome Games Direct, for example, when it uh, showcased, probably 80% of those games were like farming sims. And uh, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, I love farming sims. And I thought to myself, wow, there are tons of farming sims in here almost is it too many and then i started paying closer attention and i felt like each farming sim had something unique about it and i think if we've learned anything from you know stardew valley and its success people love farming sims and if people want a farming sim with a focus on romancing the characters or a hyper focus on x aspect like there is a game for that person Mm -hmm. and so i kind of feel like with this game now of course i don't have all the numbers but I just feel like there is the audience for this game. I'm glad that it finally found me. Um, but it just makes me wonder, like, how how do you get these games that are a little more experimental? This one's a little more experiential. It's mm-hmm. a little weirder. How do you get it into the right hands of the right players? And obviously, I don't have an answer to that question. And that's something that uh, indie devs and publishers, they're working tirelessly to find the answer to that question. But I'm with you. I mean, I feel like this game deserves quite a lot of praise. I think it deserves all the success in the world for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I just wish that there was a clearer route, right, from this game and what it is to the players who are absolutely going to love this game. Yeah. I, that's a good point you bring up, too, of that, like, like you said, with the farming sims. And, like, really, there's an audience for anything. It seems like, uh, like mm-hmm. the world we're in now, I think is more that way. Um, yeah. And that was a comment he even made in that too, is he talked about, uh, when gone home came out, I think that was in 2013. And I think it was a more unique indie game at that time. And a comment mm-hmm. he made is when this released in 2018, he was like, the games world had changed a bit by then. And so I mm. think I had thought, oh, it worked when we did Gone Home and no one did anything like this. Um, so <laughs> if I do something else unusual, who cares? It'll work because it worked last time. But 2018 was different, um, which yeah. um, I don't know. I can't transport myself to 2018 and know what was going on back then with games. Uh, but I wonder if it was different than it is right now, even, you know, even though it's only a few right. years later. Like, like you said, because like if something like this showed up on like Game Pass do the right people have game pass? Uh, maybe some of the right mm. ones would have found it or, you know, like a thing like that. Um, yeah. Like, like you described with the farming Sims, it's like, okay, you care about a romance farming sim. Well, if that ends up on game pass and that's your kind of deal, oh man, you, there are going to be people that are like, Hey, you like this? Go here. It's there, you know, like that sort of thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I wonder if something like this would be received 
differently today than it was even a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, let's see, I, I'm looking at it right now. So I one, one person that I really love and I love following on Twitter is Mike Rose. And he is in uh, the director position at No More Robots, which is a, a, a publishing, you know, hmm. uh, I'm blanking on all the terms right now, studio. Anyway, they publish <laughs> some games that I really love. And um he okay so this is a tweet from him this is from 15 hours as of the recording of this episode uh he says thanks to uh, xbox p3 for chatting with a bunch of us this morning some absolutely fascinating stuff about where the future video games is headed and then he says let's just say i'm pretty glad we have more than half a dozen games coming to game pass in the next 12 months pretty exciting space to be in right now and it just makes me think of what you said like in 2018 right this is pre-pandemic this is like before Game Pass is getting all the marketing that it is. This is before PS Plus. Um, and mm-hmm. I just like wonder, I'm like super curious, would a game like this, like if it had been in a different channel and like the, in the various channels and routes that we have in 2022, would it have done a ton, like so much better? And one of the thing about like these gaming services, and I'm even thinking about like, you know, Netflix has mobile games now too. Yeah. If you subscribe to Netflix, you can download them, which by the way, I have before your eyes downloaded on my phone now. Oh yes. Um, it's so good. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to play that one. Um, but that's extra like money opportunities. That's, that's like mm-hmm. extra deals that these indie studios can cut. And so, it'd be super fascinating and obviously we can't time travel and, you know, release this game in 2022, but I, I want to feel hopeful and think that like, Hey, you know, this type of game, like, please like indie developers, like don't give up on these types of games. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, you and I, you know, we played this game and we really enjoyed it, you know, four years after launch. And I just, I, I, you know, and it's one of those games. Yeah, I wish I would have played it closer to launch and to to, to support the the studio then. Um, but you know, I did come around to it and I did play it, and I just kind of hope that this game does have a bit longer life in it. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think now my big hope is just that um, something sees this. It's you know, like uh, I don't think this was a thing then, and who knows if it would have worked. But like, if this was published by Annapurna then it wouldn't be an issue. Um, it probably, <laughs> you know, people would know about it. Um, I, I think really my only like criticism I would have or like main one is that the game was probably a little bigger or longer than it needed to be. And some of that was my mm. own fault because I got on a collectathon kind of feel. Right. Um, and maybe if I didn't see how many possible stories there were, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's cool they showed them, but I think that it, elicited a thing in me where i was like i just gotta get them all um yeah and like if some of that was trimmed a little bit i wonder if that would have helped because i know for me like the first like two-thirds of the game i played i was so stoked to play like i was looking forward to it i was thinking about it i was ready and then the last section i was like all right i gotta collect these stories gotta catch them all um sort of feel which ended up divorcing some of the point of what this game was Uh, because I got myself into a spot. It's not necessarily the game's fault, but if it was smaller, I maybe wouldn't have got there or wouldn't have got there as much. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, truly cool game. I'm very, very glad uh, to play it and very glad we've gotten to talk about it. Uh, This has been awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah, this has been a super fun conversation. It's always great talking with you, Dan. Um, I would actually echo probably the same thing you said. I mean, we've largely heaped praise on this game, and I do think it's really well-deserved. Yeah, I think in terms of criticism, I think you're right. Like, if the map had maybe been, like, uh, three-fourths or two-thirds the size it was, um, that would have helped if... if, I had, I mean, fast travels in the game. <laughs> um, if, <laughs> if, if that was, I think, publicized, I think you'd actually get a lot more players in because mm-hmm. I think the experience that you and I had were like, I mean, it's fun to walk around. It's really fun to listen to music, to listen to the music change as you're going to the different regions. Um, but after a while, your goal really shifts when you get towards the end game and you're like, you know what? I've completed 12 stories. I've got four stories left and I'm anywhere between chapter one and four on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just want to complete these stories now. Um, at least, you know, that was definitely my experience. And just to facilitate that sort of last stretch would 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 do wonders for the game. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that would go really far. Make it a little tighter um, and all that. Mm hmm. Um, that's really all I had on the game. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Um, that, that's really everything. I think I really, I mean, I really liked it. I think it's a great game. Um, I ended up playing it on Xbox and I think it was a really comfortable experience playing on my couch. Um, I don't know how you played it, but I really loved, like, I was really grateful that I had a console to play this one on. Mm-hmm. It's, if it is on Switch, and I think it is at this point, I feel like this would be wonderful to play on Switch as well. Yeah, I feel like it would be too. I played on uh, PS5, um, but it was, yeah, super nice just to sit down, play with the controller, roam about, uh, and get some stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a good relaxing time for some good stories. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, cool. Well, yeah, that's what we've got on Where the Water uh, Tastes Like Wine. Uh, to, I guess, wrap, um, again, do you want to tell people uh, where they can find uh, your show? Yeah, sure thing. Um, uh, so just to reiterate, I am Jake from the Pre-Order Bonus Podcast. Probably the easiest way to get a hold of us is just on Twitter. Um, I run the Twitter there, and I'm on there way too often. <laughs> <laughs> um at pre-order cast is the best way to 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 get a hold of us to to listen to us we have links you know there and uh we have a discord that you can hop into as well um i really like the way that our discord is we Mm -hmm. i feel like we kind of chat in bursts which is how i love handling that kind of stuff and so if you like gaming and you like talking in that way then absolutely join the discord but yeah um and just just thank you so much, Dan. This has this has been so much fun. Like I said, when you shot me that message, I was like, "Oh man, all right, let's do this." It, you know, all the stars seem to align. I was like, "We had a great time talking last time." This is a game I've had on my wish list that I wanted to play, and I'm I'm really glad that we got to make this happen. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad too. Uh, also, if you want more of us talking, we mentioned the Super Mario Odyssey episode, but also I went on your guys' show. We talked about Donut County. Um, so there is more of that. So if you want more of us talking games, uh, also three pretty different games. So that's fun, uh, that that it worked out that way. Uh, but yeah, Mm -hmm. there, there, there's more of this. So definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on. I'm really glad we got to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. if folks want to, uh, catch up with us, um, my Twitter's at story ever pod. 
Um, our website's thegreateststoryeverplayed.com. That's got a, all of our uh, episodes on it. Also links to Apple Podcast or wherever you get podcasts. Um, for all of our episodes, including the Super Mario Odyssey one, among a bunch of other story games, uh, mm-hmm. if that interests you. Um, our Patreons, patreon.com slash the greatest story ever played. There, if you want to financially support the podcast, you could do that for as little as a dollar per month. Uh, and that will give you access to monthly bonus episodes we do. So talking about things like uh, our favorite games from childhood or uh, things outside of video games. Uh, I think one I want to do in the future is rank the Star Wars movies because I've been rewatching them. Ooh, and... <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. So stuff like that, if that interests you, that'd be cool. Uh, if you want to support the podcast but can't financially, that's totally fine. Uh, I think things that could help out a lot is just telling a friend or rating it on Apple Podcast or wherever you get podcasts. Just helping to get the word out. I know one thing I've really enjoyed uh, with this podcast is having community to enjoy games with and sharing those thoughts, feelings, etc. about them. So, um, yeah, that would be cool. And, yeah, that's our episode, and we will see you next time. Bye.